My name is Joshua Edward Wright. I was imprisoned in Portland, Oregon, United States for 50 months. And during that time, I realized that not a lot of people know what we go through. So what I will be offering is personal narrative in the hope that the listener will be able to realize the validity of the statement that no human being belongs in a cage. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the podcast, The Exiled Voice. Today, I have with me Mason. Mason, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Mason Cease. Thank you so much for being on the show. (laughs) And yeah, I'd love to talk about for the audience, you know, we mentioned, we talked before the show, and you mentioned you were in prison twice. Um, So I'd love if you could share details of your arrests and it could be one or the other whatever one you want to share and just what happened and you know feelings associated with it. anything you want to share about it we'd love to hear sure yeah my first time I went to prison it was back in 2008 um and and my my journey kind of really all centered around drug use and I mean believing that my only avenue in my life for whatever reason my my actions were to sell drugs that's how I was really the, the only way for me to survive um, it's a lot of things kind of coming together. I remember the first time, 2008, gosh, it was a complicated, it, you know, it was, I got arrested. There was an altercation I got arrested for, charged with some pretty serious crimes, like Measure 11 stuff. Uh, detectives took me into his room and gave me a pop, and they're like, here, you know, just, how's it going, you know? And I just like, they're like, here, these are stuff you're possibly facing. I'm like, wow, that's pretty serious. For me, I was like, look, all I did was, try to defend what my, my life essentially. And so I was like, I'm just not going to talk. Um, and so I went into, you know, holding jail. And at that point I thought my life was over. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to do seven, 10 years at least. And, you know, I was just terrified then coming off of drugs as well. I fought my case for three months and, you know, I mean, jail was terrifying for me. And I mean, it's terrifying for everybody, I guess, you know, we all, it's not, fun being in an enclosed space i think a huge aspect of getting arrested scare for being for being gay like especially i don't feel like back in 2007 or 8 like that was a huge overarching aspect of my incarceration where i was like oh i don't want anybody to find out like throughout my prison time i had a soulmate or, or cellmate that got beat up because he was gay like he got beat up really bad um and i was you know, just kind of terrifying like obviously you know what was going to happen so yeah, and, and I remember kind of realizing halfway through my prison sentence um, that I was non-binary, and just due to the hyper-masculinity that prison is and jail is as well, um, it, it didn't feel safe to share that with people. Um, and that's a small, a small aspect of of what what you endured, I'm sure, but it's it did feel strange to to know that I don't I don't align with a lot of the things that people are saying and talking about and kind of promoting and portraying but either way you know i'm i'm sorry for that experience and people should be able to just you know of course be whoever they want no matter what but but kind of secondarily to that i'd love to know more about because did did you take it to trial or did you take a plea agreement or like what happened with the process of like that in between jail and prison like what led you um especially the first time, but either time, like which which was which and, and which led you to prison and how did that go? 
first time I was in jail for three months, kind of fighting my case. My lawyer got taken off and I got a new lawyer and different DAs. It was just, I really just had no idea for three and a half months in limbo. Um, finally got another lawyer that came in and I, I was just sped up at that point. I was like, you know, just give me whatever time. I don't want to deal with probation. I just want to get the time over with and be done. Um, so I had a pretty short sentence and my lawyer at the time was like, are you sure you just want to take the time? Don't you want to take like a suspended sentence? And I was like, just, just the lowest amount of time you can do. Um, so I said a year and a day. Yeah. I mean, it was just that unknown, just that, you know, not communicating with anybody, no communication on the outside, just three months, not, no, not even communication with your lawyer. You know, like my lawyer was totally at first two and a half months. I don't think I talked to my lawyer one time. I had no idea what the heck was happening. Um, so just locked up second time. I, a little bit different situation. I posted bail. I paid for an expensive lawyer. Like I was, cause, cause I mean, between these two times, like I was like, it's like eight, nine years, but I got sober for seven years, did incredible things in my life in theory, got a degree in public health. And then I ran into barriers that um, I got denied for this master's program in London, like last minute because of my record. And I just started getting back into drugs and going down a bad path again. And I, um, I ended up going back to prison for drugs again. So for this time, I was a little more experienced and you're like, you know, get a lawyer, bail out, you know, do all these things. Because I, I, I had privilege, too. I had the capacity to be able to do that, at least barely. It took a lot of debt to do it. But um, and I fought my case for a couple of years the second time until I got a decent deal. And then I kind of knew everything going in, you know, um, second time was a lot less nerve wracking. I knew exactly what to expect. Definitely. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'd love to know, you know, once you got to prison, um, the first time, the second time, either time, because I know that a lot of people have a kind of progression, like the first time, like you, you just mentioned, you know, the first time you're kind of greatly unprepared for a lot of the things that we're faced with once we get inside. But um, the second time, it feels like, okay, I know how to do this. You know, this, this feels comfortable, not well, not comfortable, but I, I know what I'm doing. I know how to avoid certain things, keep myself safe. So I'd love to know, you know, that kind of thing with you once you went into prison uh, the first time. What did you focus on? Were there programs that you did? Where, what did you do to kind of pass your time? And then, of course, if you want to touch on the second time, I'd love to hear that as well. Yeah. The, what's crazy for me is that both times I had absolutely no, no treatment no classes, no services. The second time there's some other things I took that were really incredible for me. But the first time I had about six months, I was actually at the prison and there was absolutely nothing and no, no options, like absolutely nothing. So I just, I didn't even, couldn't even get a job because when you're a medium, you have to wait six months to get a, a job. So I pretty much just hung out on myself and read a lot. It was constant alert, constant anxiety, you know, like, cause I mean, like, oh, I don't really didn't want people to find out the gay thing, especially in the medium prison back then. It was just a different story. Certain gangs were not okay with it. And so that's why my cellmate got beat up because of the row we were sitting in. He was found out he was bi, even though, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, now we just read like crazy. I mean, honestly, there was weeks where I just read pretty much all the time or walked around the, the, the track with people and pretty much just you know, other than walking around the track, people solitary, just reading constantly the first time for six months. But, you know, you're also feeling a constant like anxiety rising, like kind of bubbling experience, which is just not very good feeling. The second time I kind of took advantage of a few more things. There were some more classes that I could do at the minimum when I went the second time. 
and did some meditation classes, did, uh, which I love meditation, um, did insight to well-being, which was a revolutionary class for me. Um, I now work with the insight Alliance who does that. And it wasn't a program that was provided by the, the jail or the prisons. It was something that person volunteered to come in like, look, I want to provide this class to people and, you know, give, give programs and stuff for people who just don't have it. Cause it really isn't a lot. I mean, even for someone who goes in on, this is my, I don't know how many drug charges. I still don't have really treatment. I didn't, didn't even qualify for the treatment program they had, you know, like it just didn't really make much sense to me at all. I feel like it could have been in lieu of treatment. Instead I went and did nine months in, in, in prison where I could have why did they send me to a six month treatment program or something like that? You know, like they've been better use of resources. Um, but you just kind of feel like they have to get that check mark of like, Oh, we sent another one to prison, got another bad guy off the street. But the second time, yeah, I just, I really, the insight to well-being I took was amazing for me. Um, I also read a lot and, you know, the second time I, it was a lot different with the whole gay thing. I found my kind of gay group and it was a little bit different uh narrative around it still not totally comfortable i have many friends who like didn't know for months about me like mason i've never been friends with the gay guy like but you're cool i'm like okay thanks you know like um but it's not something it's something i'm lucky i can hide you know i can kind of like not be blatant about that and so what it, it just didn't it just doesn't come up very often um but you know i was able to find my kind of my group uh a lot better the second time and that feel that social connection, which is huge. Cause you know, I really didn't never felt, especially the first time, like there's no connection with that insane masculinity that, I mean, and it's funny, like think, well, I don't really fit in with this, but you kind of have to, there's, there's always unseen ways that you have to fit into that mold of what is deemed appropriate or okay. Like you can't get around it, no matter how much you try and you're, you're still going to be affected by it, even if you don't see it. Um, it's a powerful force, you know? I feel like as being part of the, you know, I was able to skirt around some aspects of it a lot better, you know, and like see some of it and not respond to some of it. But innocently, I know I still went in with some aspects of it, you know? I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah, I remember having to, it's almost like code switching, but it's like where you have to kind of laugh off certain things that deep down like hurt or like, you have to just not speak up when something is like heavily offensive because you know that the alternative is going to be violence. You know, that type of thing is where mm -hmm. you're constantly like, I was just always on edge, like of, of honestly speaking my mind a lot about a lot of stuff, just how I guess sexist the language is, how um, heteronormative it is, how, uh, you know, sometimes xenophobic, xenophobic and racist, um, things like that, where if you speak up, you automatically become a target for that group of people that are talking. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I, I definitely, you know, can can relate in some capacity to that. It was it was weird and hard a lot uh, to never be like my full self. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to know because. I was able to start uh, the first gender and sexuality class in the Oregon Department of Corrections with Juniper, a friend of mine who did time. They got out um, uh, kind of like halfway between us getting that done. And so I was able to do that with an outside volunteer. But I'd love to know, you know, if that because I, I don't think I've had anybody else on the on the podcast besides uh, Eve, uh, Evelyn, that was in that class. 
Um, and so I'd love to know if that benefited you, if that made any difference, if that felt safe, because um, that's what I hope to do in the first place. But either way, I'd love to hear, you know, if that if that made any benefit to your time. Well, immensely, because I mean, also part of it is you can't just come out, can't always just come out and go, oh, I'm part of the, like It's just allowed oh, a lot more connection and communication with people who might have similar connections and things with, you know, really allowed me to deepen some relationships. Um, and it was, yeah, I was definitely a fresh uh, breath of fresh air. I mean, it was cool that you could actually have something like that. That's such a huge difference between my first and second time. I mean, that's even a small possibility of that was never even a consideration where I was at before. I mean, it's a different facility as well. Uh, I'm not sure if anything's changed there, but gosh, huge, huge difference. Yeah, I remember. I'm, I'm really glad that it, that it positively impacted you, and I really appreciate that. And I do remember just, I mean, it was a process. Like, it took six straight months of just talking to people almost daily, especially Juniper, like, right before they got out, was talking to, like, every staff member about it. Like, what do I need to do to get this done? What do we have to do? And it was just a huge undertaking. And a lot of the staff did not like you know that we had that class especially like, like the prison guards almost all the men like the male prison guards like hated that that was even offered and you know we had to well i in particular had to deal with a lot of things related to that like there was a, a, a prison guard that came up like straight up to me and asked like why would you make this class um and i'm like i mean this was a joint process but also it's it's a, like it's a community and like people are already here doing time it's it's i don't know what it was like uncomfortable at times because i didn't know because i also made liberation literacy uh-huh. and that's a lot of the kind of like more racist guards were like why would you make a class for black people and i was like bro it's a class for everybody first of all but i don't know it was like i i didn't know you know, what I'd be threatened with, with guards who had a problem with what I was doing. And it was, and I did a bunch of other stuff, but it was, those were the main things that like some guards took precedence and would like single me out and just like straight up ask me, like, why would I do such a thing? Um, but I, I'm either way, that's, that was the point is like making life a little bit easier, a little bit better for people on the inside that are doing time. So it was worth all that nonsense, but um, I'd love to know, you know, as well for the audience to get back, back on track a little bit. Did you have visits? Did you get letters? Did you, were you able to afford the video visits, um, you know, phone calls, stuff like that? Did you have people on the outside and how did you try to keep in touch with them? Yeah, I had visits. I never did video visits. This is too much money. Um, Phone calls to my mom. That's pretty much it. You know, you had to keep those on um not too much because they were expensive. You know, they did get cheaper over the when I first went away into the second time. Like it was a little bit cheaper for the phone calls, but still, you know, a couple. I don't remember how much? A couple, two, three bucks per call. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to have some visits. My grandma, my mom, and another friend came, and that was huge anytime you had a visit i mean it's exciting like someone in the outside world wants to actually talk to you and you have this 
gray, dull space you're always in and someone comes and it's like a bright light, you know, like, oh my gosh, they're wearing regular clothes. That's amazing. Um, and then, the, you know, I did get some letters. But, you know, part of me too was like, gosh, I don't really want to talk to anybody while I'm in here. Like, I'm embarrassed, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve to talk to anybody, you know. Um, um, and it's like, you know, you got to say, like, don't want to be a burden on people and stuff. But, uh, yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah, I love, I love your description of people coming in to visit because that's really true. Like, it's, they had so many colors. And it was, it was like a little rays of sunshine because I worked in visiting for a year also. And it was like, some people wear dresses that had like flowers on them, just bright print. And I was like, this is so cool. And I was like, because yeah, like we have just gray walls. There's like black and white and there's blue on all of our clothes. And like, that's what we have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciate that that description. That's very true. Um, But yeah, I'd love to know, you know, how once you were, getting ready for a release and all that and once you got out just how that process was for you do you know any type of thing that you struggled with i remember you mentioned there were barriers um but i'd love to know more about those barriers and just what you had to endure to try to assimilate back into society especially both times but yeah i just love to know about that and how that how that went for you yeah you know um the first time i got 3 months transitional housing downtown um, and I, I chose to go into treatment at that point. So that was kind of my, my, my journey. It, it turned out all right, but you know, I got out of transitional housing. I had to go stay with a friend on the couch. You know, I just lucky I had people because really even today getting a, getting housing with, with a record, she recently released. And, and then now this time I, I got out and, um, I got, I got lucky and got a job at Relay Resources who then does, um, low-income housing so i was able to get on the housing list which they've changed it now you can't even get on the housing list for six months until after you start so i was able to get into lower income housing like i don't like i you know i got out there's so many so many meetings we had to go to so many uh meetings with you know housing meetings our mentor meetings our uh treatment meetings our you know drug drug testing meeting like so much stuff to like I, I get them want to keep us on track. Um, but I just, it, it, I don't know. I mean, I did everything they needed. So I didn't see what it was like to not not do what they asked. So I don't know how they dealt with that when people didn't meet all these, all of these requirements. Um, but it was kind of seemed like it, you know, put more of a barrier up for you than anything than other aspects instead of like giving you the, the necessary things to overcome obstacles, it kind of created some new obstacles um, just with time. I don't know. I really feel like the services on getting people and keeping people out of the prison. Oh my gosh. Like even how, I don't know. I definitely could improve. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'd love to also know, like, you know, your, your family situation, your work, um, you know, how, how are those things going for you out here? They're good um i'm I'm lucky my mom's always been really supportive and she lives in vancouver 
my grandmother was sick. She's still doing well. It's been like four years. So I was surprised because she was really sick while I was on the inside. So that was kind of terrifying. You know, it's my fast away. And she kind of raised me. Um, but she's always been so unconditionally loving and amazing in so many ways. My work is really good. I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm working with the Insight Alliance. We're actually teaching classes with in the youth, youth in prison. So just pointing people kind of back to their own resilience and their well-being and taking a look at different, uh, just doing an exploration into the mechanics of our mind and how we're experiencing life and bringing to light kind of maybe some possible assumptions that, you know, for people to see for themselves, maybe assumptions they had about how things were happening or assumptions they were made or, or invisible thinking, you know, like and that, you know, those, we live in this world of thought and it's a lot of invisible stuff kind of pushing us and guiding us, uh, even the structures we're involved in, the privilege we maybe don't even realize we have, or the, you know, I don't know. It's just like, I, I just kind of doing the exploration and it's really fun to do the exploration. Uh, my job feels so lucky. I'm um, also working with foster youth and um, community classes as well. So kind of redirect it because of COVID. Because right now, my understanding is on the inside with COVID, it's it's not fun. They, they constantly, OIA, they constantly go down into uh, lockdown where they just, you know, if someone gets COVID, they move them to another place and they lock down the whole unit for 10 days. Where they don't do anything so all their services and stuff have kind of been cut off yeah well you've been unable to go into prison like because i'm affiliated with different organizations as well and you're also the only one on my podcast i believe that works specifically with programs that i took on the outside which is really unique and different i appreciate that it's it's i wish more people that had done time got involved like we do it's it's of great benefit mm-hmm. but um, yeah, either way, like uh, Phoenix Rising Transitions, I'm the president of the board of uh, Liberation Literacy. I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff with them, partnering with Reed College and um, All Rise Magazine. We're compiling our second issue, things like that. And, and the, of course, this podcast, but those three um, and the gender and sexuality class, like we had nobody's been able to go inside and you know, give classes, um, offer programs, anything like that for like two years. Right. In a pro, like a long time. Insane. And like, if I'm, cause I'm, I always try to put myself in the perspective of people doing time right now. First of all, they had the pandemic where like their life is in jeopardy. Like they weren't given the masks. They weren't, the guards came in with COVID cause they're, you know, Republican and, and far right. And people of of that lean. And so they tended to just disbelieve a lot of that stuff and were fed misinformation. And so there you're putting people's lives at risk that can't leave, like can't Mm -hmm. isolate, can't distance, don't have, you know, PPE, not only that, but they shut down, like they shut down programs, they shut down religious services, they shut down visitation for a long time. And so you had nothing like on the inside. I can't imagine because I was there for I did a little bit like 50 months. I did 46 months at Columbia River. I can't imagine like the only thing I had were books, um, television, writing, and the yard. Like there's no interaction. Um, You can call people if they pick up the phone and are able to and you have the money and you could work out. And like that is a bleak 
existence and it's and it's already messed up on the inside so i just can't imagine what they've endured these past few years being unable to partake in anything it's almost like solitary i mean it is is really i mean it's you're stuck in the end yeah i mean i i haven't heard i've heard some some people i just it's just insane the measures they took of taking away all possible avenues for some people you know like everything exactly yeah but no i i I just really appreciate you know you being on the show i I so appreciate you know all the stuff you're doing and and just kind of have a similar path as me just trying to make life a little bit better for people that are that are imprisoned and so you know i just really appreciate you and um i I love you know catching up and stuff like that and uh but yeah, I'd love to know, is, is there any kind of final words you want to leave with the audience or anything last you want to say before we wrap up? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's 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 funny because you invite me on here. I'm like, what, what do I have to say? I don't have anything. I'm like, I'm just, yeah, I just want the present yay, right? But it's just so interesting because, like, even with my teaching and, and working with the youth and, like, the capacity for every human, like, it's amazing to see people open up to their resilience and to their well-being. And not only that, it's like their capacity for change and their capacity for just being human, being as is, who they are. Like, it's, it's so easy to, like, dehumanize people who are going through an experience, you know? And it's just like, it's so interesting to look at even my history and like, how did I even go down that path? Like, I got into a thought a construct and ideas and I thought that that was the best avenue for me. Like, sure kind of crazy but it's where my mind was going and i thought will bring me relief and so i don't know it's just it's just amazing to be able to teach and and, and communicate with people on the inside just through zoom right now and just i don't know the infinite capacity of each person like it's really there like it's really there i mean it's so many amazing people on the inside like so many amazing people just trying to learn how to live life It'd be so amazing if we could actually give more guidance and more options and more classes and more resources to actually allow them to find themselves. Because when I went to prison, I was finding myself in my sobriety, just sober, right off. Like, I kind of forgot who I was. Um, So I don't know, anything we can do to try to make that a better space would be amazing. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you.